I don't know if you'd recall, but on Women's Day, we had a conversation on the state of the Women's Living Monument in Pretoria. And we looked at how that monument was not operational um, ahead of the public holiday, but just how long it has taken to try and get it up and running. And in many ways, the state of that monument, which at the point, parts of which was lying in ruins, is a reflection of the extent to which matters around conservation of certain types of heritage are actually memorialized. And we know why heritage sites are important, because they're not only a public good, but they help to provide educational purposes. It's also so that future generations can learn about their history. They help the, the, the nation in terms of forming what is a national identity. It brings about cohesion and also instills common values in a nation. And when we look at the state of our cultural heritage sites, and I'm talking here across the country, um, the, the work that is being done there is often very good work, but those that are championing this work have to fight for every single cent that they have uh, or that they get in order to ensure that this work continues. Why is that the case? And how can we be approaching then this con conversation around conservation and honoring memory? Let me welcome Dr. <laughs> not Dr. but Sir Nicholas Volpe. Uh, he is the founder and former CEO of the Lily's Leaf Trust. So, Volpe, good morning. Good morning, Kathy, and thanks for having me on your show. Okay, tell our listeners why we must call you Sir Volpe now. We're used to you just as Nicholas Volpe. Well, in December of 2018, the King of Sweden knighted me, um, and my title is a Knight of the First Class of the Royal Order of the Polar Star. Oh, jeez, what did you do to deserve that, Nick? It was the work that I did at Lily's Leaf, highlighting mm. the role of Sweden in the liberation struggle and their contribution to the struggle and the important role that they played in assisting in the struggle and the amazing support that they had actually given over the years. Well, congratulations to you on that award. Um, uh, it was interesting to see it in this title because I didn't even realize that that had taken place. But congratulations. Also part of our conversation this morning, Ngabuto Madida, who is uh, with the South African Heritage Resources Agency. Good morning, Ngabuto, and welcome to the show. Uh, good morning, Oskepi, and good morning to the SASM listeners. I think thank, I, you thank you so much for coming on. I think one of the things that I first want want to start with with doing is perhaps getting the reflections of both of you on the approach that has been taken when it comes to the preservation of cultural and heritage sites. And and I know that this conversation can very quickly become um, you know, almost a, a blame game in as far as government is concerned and laying the bulk of um, the bulk of the responsibility at government's door. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's a conversation that needs to be much broader than that because, in fact, the memorialization of our history, of our culture, of our heritage should be work that is done by both private and public uh, 
and public stakeholders. So, um, Nick, in perhaps your own perspective, what is the general attitude that you would say across the board in both government and the private sector is what is the general approach to conversations around heritage, cultural preservation? Thank you, Cathy. I think, first of all, I'd like to say you're absolutely right. This isn't about a blame game. We need to move away from that. The issue, I think, that confronts us in South Africa is the lack of recognition of the importance of heritage and what it means. Earlier on, you talked about identity, unity, and a sense of who we are. And ultimately, that comes down to our heritage, both tangible and intangible, because I think we mustn't draw a distinction between cultural heritage and political heritage. It's one of the same thing. Heritage is about who we are as a people, who we are as a country, and where we have come from, and based upon that, creating a sense of belonging. And I think that's the fundamental point, that we have lost sight of the importance of what that means in the broader context. And if I can just finish off, and you said we must look at it in a broader context, and that broader context also means looking at it within the of a national identity. Because one of the things that we struggle with also in this country is a sense of identity. And that identity transcends both the social as well as the political. Nabuto, I'll also ask you to try and tackle the same question for me then. Um, um, thank you, Oscar. I think the, the, the important thing that I think the, uh, that uh, Dr. Sewolpil just uh, highlighted, the issue of identity formation as a nation, uh, given our history and where we come from, I think that uh, the, that identity formation as part of um, building this democratic institution, institution which guarantees our rights, it is something that is very important. So, and as part of that, memorialization is a very important part, which contributes to the to the construction of our um, identity as a South African nation, but also our identity in terms of where we want to be going forward. And I think, um, as someone has pointed out elsewhere, that the the, the democratically elected post-apartheid government um, imperative was to redress the biased landscape of memory. And I think that's a term that I just want to latch on to, that uh, that biased landscape of memory that we inherited is the one that needed to be... Um, to reflect the new democratic dispensation and ethos and values um, that um, the transition brought into into our society, um, and I think that that memorialization is, is an important component of that. And uh, putting up new memorials that speak to to to, to inclusiveness, that speak to um, to to to, remo- to removing some of those um, sort of practices that had been, um, been carried out by the previous system. Mm-hmm. I think that that's, that's an important part of forging a national identity. And I think with that, we're going to have challenges, we're going to have contestations, but it is important that we embark on that particular process.
um, in, in, in commemorating those that were perhaps previously written out of our nation's um, uh, memory, um, in a way. A few weeks ago, we had um, Dr. Matole Motsekha in, in studio, and there, there was something he said which has stayed with me. He said, we as a country are currently lost because we have lost our national identity. So we are not in touch with our roots and where we come from as a people. There's this dislocation um, that has taken place between the current generation and the generations that have come before it. If you were to, to think about that, then Nicholas, in the context of the conversation that we are having, um, what does that effectively mean? Does it mean that because we don't have this knowledge of those that have come before us, because we um, haven't really taken the time out to invest in finding out what it is? And, and, and you know, when I think about our political history, it's easy to talk about, oh, we have these struggle icons and, 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 and. but even that is, is contested, right? That that history is reflective of a very select few of individuals, but who we are as a people goes so much broader and, and so much deeper than that. I think there are three elements to what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. The first element in terms I would like to focus on is beliefs, because at one point you actually raised the the issue of beliefs and values. And I think that is also something that we have neglected to take into consideration. So if we refer to the born freeze, they have a particular worldview predicated on certain beliefs and ideas. Now those beliefs and ideas really congregate around things like TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and other social media outlets, which to some degree formulate how they perceive the world. And the way they perceive the world is in the here and now. The second element which ties to that is the disconnect with our history, with our culture. Because something like that is about understanding the past, which gives us an understanding of the present, and that to some degree is undermined by that ideal, or call it worldview. The third element is the fact that we have, and it's not just South Africa, it's the world in its totality, has undermined the importance of the social sciences, of which history is one of them. Because the view is what value does that bring to creating an economic growth within the economy? What contribution can history, sociology, anthropology make? And if you take all of those and put them together, you create a system or a vacuum. Now, within that vacuum, you then find yourself having a situation where individuals are able to come in and contest certain aspects of history. And the one that comes to mind immediately is the issue of Nelson being a sellout. Mm -hmm. Why have we got to that point where there is an argument that Nelson was a sellout? Because 
we haven't got the complete picture, the full understanding of the meaning of our past, the meaning of history, the role that these individuals played. And if I can conclude by saying, entire in going into that, we have this idea that we name buildings, streets after these icons. But it's merely a name. People don't understand the meaning behind the name. They don't understand what that person represented, what that person did, what they stood for, and what they were wanting to achieve. Ngabuto, as, as, as Nicholas is, is talking, I'm thinking about how there also seems to be a, a particular prism through which we memorialize um, our history. And, and most of it is, is, is political, because if you think about the figures that even we as South Africans revere, who have street names named after them, who have buildings named after them, they mostly are individuals that have contributed to the political struggles of the country. Does that provide a skewed perspective of, of history? Okay, I think that we, to a particular degree, yes, the, 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 the sort of the, the memorialization has really been on, um, on, on, on political figures, particularly, I think, given our history, where we have come from, um, uh, the, the, the struggle that um, brought our, our forefathers against colonialism and also in the most recent past against apartheid. Um, have gone through. I think that identity formation that we talked about earlier on um, became an important political imperative. But I think to a, to a lesser degree, there, there are changes that are happening within the space of memorialization that are looking at a broad spectrum of other um, activities. I, I, I think what we haven't done well, perhaps, is publicizing those into the into the public consciousness um, to say that there are other aspects of memorialization that we are working on, um, that uh, other sectors are also working on, which focus on the less known and, and even sort of non-political, um, uh, yeah, the non-political icons, so to speak, or events, um, or even activities. I can just maybe, let me cite an example that's in the in the, in the Rosedale Cemetery uh, in Uppington. All right. Um, Ngabuto, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll give you a chance to do that. Sorry to, to interject there, uh, but you, you'll continue with that example in a moment. It has just gone 10.30, uh, so let me take you over to the news desk and has your latest headlines. We continue the conversation this morning. We're talking about our heritage, our culture, the preservation of that heritage and culture and why it is that this is a conversation that needs to be taken up by all of us in in, in, in society, not just government, but the private sector, even us as members of the community, I think, have a central role to play when it comes to the preservation of memory. Sir Nicholas Volpe, the founder and former CEO of the Lilysleaf Trust, is with me in studio. Uh, Ngabuto Madiba is with the South African Heritage Resources Agency, and he's joining us on the line. So I just want to give you a chance, uh, Ngabuto, 
to, to give us an example that you were talking about of uh, the work that is being done around uh, heritage and preservation of memory that doesn't include um, you know, some of the more prominent figures that whose names, you know, we all know, whose faces we all recognize, especially in the context of our history. Yes, um, thank you, Asket. I'll give you an example of Makhrita um, Yankee's uh, memorial grave, which is in the Northern Cape. Um, and uh, as, 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 as she, is, she was popularly known as Omar Kadi, she is one of the. She was one of the last. She was one of the last. She was well. She was one of the last remaining speakers of the new language, which is a language basically that um, was going extinct. I think, if I remember correctly, there were only about twelve people that were left um, that could speak that particular um, uh, uh, language, and um, there there was a memorial done there for for her just to bring into public consciousness. Um, basically, our history, uh, both the colonial history and its impact on not just people, but also on languages and culture. Um, uh, it is the only, uh, basically, uh, memorial uh, gravestone that is written in the new language in the entire country. There is none. Um, and that site was declared as a national heritage. But I'm just citing this example to say, perhaps we haven't done a good job in highlighting some of those uh, sites that have been done. In Limpopo, you have Manchima Semula, um, uh, which is in, um, uh, uh, yeah, it's in Limpopo, in, in, in Hama, it's in Hama, Sem, Hama Rishani. Um, uh, there is a gravesite of Manchima Semula, who was a Christian martyr there, and, and that was also done and memorialized. So there are these that are being done on the site, including traditional leaders, for example, um, there's a number of projects that are going on. Um, and so this, some of these would be less political in the sense, um, as, as, as you've highlighted. But I guess the question is whether are we bringing these into the public consciousness? I think as uh, Nicholas, Saint Nicholas Lopez has pointed out, um, one of the, the challenges perhaps is um, the extent to which this is infused into the curriculum where those that become the future custodians of this particular history would then take it seriously and take it forward. I think that that gap um, may need to be relooked at both by the state but also by um, you know by the private sector, as you pointed out, um, that there would need to be synergies in terms of trying to infuse this the importance of conservation of the conservation of heritage for for the future but how that also in itself becomes an important, important guarantee for our rights today you know because i think that yeah. we normally think about the future but also don't think about what its impact is in the present as we live and uh, i'm i'm just thinking about the extent to which even uh, an act like what you're telling us, you know, the, the, the tombstone that is the only one of its kind written in, in the new language and how that in and of itself should be, is, not should be, it is something that is significant um, for South Africans. But there's a question, and, and it links back to something that uh, Nick was saying earlier around the beliefs that we carry as a society. And 
Do you think a lot of work needs to be done, Nick, to make people care? To, to make to make people care about the significance of of this history Kathy before I come to answer that specific mm. question I th- want to just go back and touch upon this notion of memory now with P Nora a French historian was the guy that came up and divide defied came up with the theory of memorialization what it meant And one of the things he argued was that there was a craving for memory, a craving to reestablish a connection with the past, a past across a broad spectrum. So not just buildings, but traditions. And within that context of traditions, way of life, like music, like language, like eating. And I think one of the problems that we are facing is we don't fully appreciate and understand this notion of memory. What does it actually mean within the context of the discussion in the broader sense? How does it relate? Because we've been talking about the failures to highlight some of the important aspects of our history within a broader context, and that ties in with memory. Now, coming back to your specific question, the blunt answer is we don't care. That is the reality. A number of historians, like David Crabtree, has said people are no longer interested in the past. They are only interested in the here and now. The question is then, how do we address that lack of interest in the past? How do we address it to make people realize that the in, our interest in the past, whether it's about tangible or intangible, buildings, language, culture, dance. How do we bring that and make it an important facet of our lives, bring it into the consciousness of who we are so it becomes part of the daily routine? That is the challenge we face. Mm -hmm. How do we address it? And that requires a concerted effort by all elements of civil society. Is it, is it just a South African problem or is it a global issue that people have simply stopped caring? It is a global issue. But I think, unfortunately, we're further down the path than other countries are. But we look at what happened in Britain recently with the passing of the Queen and the outpouring of grief and the reflection of her reign and the fact that this was the end of the Elizabethan era you see there is still a lot of interest in the royalty, in the royal family, whether it's contemporary or historical. And that, to a large degree, is what we in this country have lost. But it is a a global phenomenon. We can't just suddenly say this is unique to South Africa. The, The issue is the importance of memory and history and how we instill that into society. Let me go to Cape Town. Mike, good morning. Uh, I'll give you a moment in a second. Let me just quickly take Mike. Hello, Mike. Yeah, sure. Hi, good morning, Cathy. And I want to so agree with your last guest. I think he's Sir Nick. I didn't get his whole name. Um, but uh, uh, yes, I agree with everything he says. But I will just want to pick up one point that was made uh, in this conversation. That is that you know it's not a question of apportioning blame. I think we just quickly look at where we are with our monuments. We've lost the following, 150 million rand, the women's monument built by the ANC, never completed, 
Zimmer's two million rand monument is rusting away. The Brunt Court House was still not being restored when Mandela's house, but we do know that Ace Makashuri and a whole lot of cadres made about 45 million rand in their back pockets. Robin Island is almost dysfunctional. It cost a thousand rand per person to go there, and we've had mine management takeovers there. It's completely and utterly corrupt. There's Lily's Leaf Farm, which I used to go to regularly when I was in Joburg. I love that place. It's so well done, so beautiful, and so reflective of our history, sadly. That's been let go to collapse and has closed down. The apartheid museum has closed down. The Town home that is now 140 years old, it's called the Palace Barracks. It's here in Town. It's a classic old building in the same theme as the castle in Cape Town. It's literally just collapsed a week ago. Why is that? Because the department of what, what has got no money to look after it. And, of course, Nelson Mandela's house has collapsed. So what we've got to do, start doing first and foremost to protect what's left of our assets in this country is to privatize them. We cannot allow this government to handle any more of our history because it is being wasted. And yes, it costs money to upkeep. And no, there's not a lot of buy-in. I know that story. But, you know, tourists, when they come out here, they want to go and see it. So there's a hidden cost to it. With cost to it, in other words, a real hidden benefit because it's part and part of our culture when people come here. But now they've got nothing to see. Everything is closed down, collapsed. And thanks to this ANC government, it must carry the blame. We must apportion blame, and we must apportion it on them. They are killing our heritage. Okay. Thanks very much, Kathy. All right, Mike. Thanks. Thanks for that contribution. Mike out in Cape Town. We'll take a quick break, and we'll reflect on what Mike has said. Uh, we'll also hear more from our guests. I just want you to reflect for me, uh, Ngabuto, on what was said by Mike in Cape Town. And he's he's absolutely correct in terms of all of these institutions that exist and some of the failures, um, in particular where government is concerned in, in handling the monies that are supposed to be going into these projects. Um, historically, what are we seeing as, as the level of interest from the private sector and perhaps even beyond interest participation from the private sector when it actually comes to putting money into uh, such sites and and do you think they should be privatized yeah just a number of of points number one um i think that the the confrontational sort of approach um would not help us in in conserving our heritage i think that a more collaborative approach would be helpful um, that where the private sector can bring um, the other slice and the government can bring the other slice and you know NGOs can bring the other slice, it would help us to collaborate. The reality is this: it's that as as as, as, um, as Nicholas has pointed out, heritage um, it, it is not viewed as attractive as it were. As someone has used a very sort of um, Funny term and said heritage is not sexy anymore. Um, it's not attractive to 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 the to the private sector, but also and very very strangely also to to our communities sometimes. Um, and this is evidenced by the vandalism that occurs on heritage sites uh, from the community. So this has to be a collaborative approach where um, the private sector can come in. Um, and the government can also come in, and our local communities um, in whose spaces these heritage assets exist, that if, if that, those synergies could be pulled together, I think we could achieve a little bit more in terms of their conservation, uh, in, terms, in terms of their inclusivity, 
um, and in terms of their acceptability within within communities. Um, yes, there are institutional weaknesses at, in, in, in some areas um, where there can be improvement in terms of, um, for example, making those heritage assets as part, let's say, of the economic priorities of a particular local municipality or of a particular province, et cetera, et cetera. Um, infusing that, um, infusing those heritage assets and their conservation as looking at those as part of an economic priority, I think would be very important. I think the danger that I, 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 I sort of observe um, is, is that you find a heritage being relegated to the bottom of the, of the pile um, when other needs are pressing, you know, such as, for example, delivery of housing, very important, um, doing repairs for, say, sewage lines and restoring water. Those are absolutely critical. But when those pile up to an extent that heritage is hidden at the bottom of the pile, you will realize that even those sites that have been done um, uh, become neglected because priority-wise they are at the bottom. And I think it speaks to that issue that we've been talking about. How is it that we can make heritage conservation part of that democratic building process and national identity formation to such an extent that when we sit down and, and, and view our priorities for a year or next five years or three years, that heritage becomes part of that. I think that that's an important, that's an important aspect. Oh. Um, oh, oh, all right. Th- 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 thanks for that, uh, Ngabuto. Uh, I don't know, this idea of making heritage and culture sexy, <laughs> I started to think about what that, what that even means. Um, because again, this is a term that, that often is, 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 it has to do with commercialization, right? Um, and is it really that you have to commercialize something like history in order for it to be well received? Is that where we are? Are those the values that, that we have come to, sh- uh, to espouse as a people? Uh, Peter Wiley in Makanda, good morning. Good morning, Kathy, and I want to pay you a compliment um, in the way you introduced yourself to the radio this morning. You showed courage and integrity in your criticism of the current crop of ANC, well, you, or their choice of a leader, because the best way we can honour Nelson Mandela, it must be remembered, that he was prepared to sacrifice his life to the country. And... The current crop of leaders, a lot of them, and people in this country today, as you've said and your guest has said, are sacrificing the country for their own benefit. And uh, the best monument to him, to Mandela, is to hold people to account. Because one must remember what happened to him. And he came out of prison after 27 years. He put this country on the map. And what have we done with our good reputation? I mean, we, we, could, we could ask questions about that all day long, but we've got to hold people to account. And I appreciate what you did this morning, and it took courage. So um, well done, Cathy. And the basic thing that we've got to do is live up to the Mandela standard, and that is making sacrifices and having integrity 
I think making sacrifices for the good of the country. But people are self-enriching today, and uh, it, it's destroying the, the patriotism in this country. It's very difficult to actually follow leaders today because people just lose interest in politics with the way things have gone. Not the way they're going, the way things have actually gone. Um, I'd like you and your guests to comment on that, but that would be the best way to build a monument to Mandela, to hold people to account to his heritage. He could have come out of jail and we could have had an absolute bloodbath in this country. But he right. diffused it with the help of some of his colleagues and, it, and we were put on the map, but what have we done with that? All right, That's Peter, thanks for that contribution. Uh, look, I don't think I did anything special. Just ask questions as we do every morning. Uh, but, uh, uh, Sir Nick, I call you Nick because... <laughs> I've known you for a long time, so now I must remember to put the sir in front of it. Um, do you want to, inf let me do this, let me take a break because I see we've got a break coming up. Let me take the break and then I'll give you a chance to weigh in. Kathy on SAFM. We continue the conversation on the talking point. So Nick, I want to uh, give you a chance to have your say on this conversation and then I take a couple more call callers and, and voice notes that we've ha that we've had sent in. Okay, you, you made the comment about, you know, sh that the heritage and history should be made sexy somehow, you know, and how do we do that? I mean, and you made reference to the idea of economics, and I think that has been part of the problem. Mm. We put the cart before the horse. The idea is that first and foremost, we must preserve. And once we've preserved, we then have something to show the world, which then becomes an economic role, has, plays an economic role, I should say, and mm -hmm. becomes an economic contribution. And I'm always reminded of cashew nuts because everyone assumes that it is the nut which is the most important aspect of the cashew nut. It is, in fact, not. It is the oil, the byproduct. But they don't grow the trees to extract the byproduct. They grow the tree to extract the nut and then the byproduct. And that's how we should treat it. Our history should not be seen within an economic framework, within an economic context. It's first and foremost should be seen about preserving our history, mm -hmm. our heritage across the board, both tangible and intangible. Buildings, the arts, the dance, traditions. Gabalo in Durban, good morning. How are you? I'm all right, Cabello. Yeah, I mean, uh, once again, thanks to your team and yourself. Uh, you always give us uh, such important discussion that uh, we have to look at. Okay, we don't need to politicize that topic. I think uh, the Department of Economics, Development or Small Business and the Department of Art and Culture, they need to come together. And then because the heritage sites will also play a pivotal role in terms of the, uh, you know, empowering of the small businesses to visit those sites. Mm. They're selling the products that uh, are made in South Africa or made in Africa so that they can be the memory of, oh, I've been to Deben to this site. This is what I've got. I've got this bracelet that is written Deben or whatever and so forth. So now I think the municipalities and the economic development uh, you know, department, they can also play a role in this thing. Also to form the body that will go out and educate the youth. 
specific to those communities that those heritage sites are situated. Let them visit those such first and know the history behind this thing because OSCEC, I can tell you, 90% of the South Africans, they go to London, they go to, uh, you know, Paris to see the Eiffel Tower or, or go to London and see some statues that does not mean anything to them. But there are heritage sites that have a meaning for South African people that mm. they need to visit us as a South African people, they need to go and visit those so that we can know the meaning behind. Because mm. without knowing the meaning, we will, you know, will destroy them. So I think the government they need to come together seriously and then protect those sites. That there is a guy that says must be privatized. I don't know what's wrong with the, uh, you know, these people. Everything they must be. Oscar, I'm telling you, one day you wake up and say there's a there's an idea that Oscar uh, uh, must be privatized now. <laughs> because because now privatization is like a, a norm to everyone. They want everything to private. We don't need to privatize. We need to educate the education. Oscar is a key. Let inform the people mm. why this state is there. What means to them? What they can make? What business opportunities it can open for them? Then everything will be protected. I thank you, Oscar. Gabello, thank you so much for for that call. In fact, one of the things that uh, I was thinking about um, was something like the 9/11 memorial site in New York, right? Um, most tourists who go to New York visit that site. You have thousands of feet um, that visit that site on a daily basis. And that is part of the history of that country. But look at how it also is part of the economic imperative of the offering like a a city of of New York has. Eddie in Cape Town, good morning. Good morning. Um, How's Katie? How are you? I'm well, thank you, Eddie. Good, good. I just want to say hi to Mr. Madida. I know him from the, the what they call it, the, where Mandela was, was jailed before. Um, uh, Robin Island in the UCT. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know he's a good guy. Yeah. But um, here's my thing, man. I just want um, as a question quickly. Um, the, the difference between cultural and heritage and tradition and all of that, because I, I find that sometimes we kind of uh, uh, mangling all of these things together, and there isn't a kind of a um, uh, difference there for me. And then I want to agree with uh, uh, the last caller to say everything must for me translate to to cash or to economic empowerment. Otherwise, then why would you have these white elephants around the Mapungu boys? The the, the, the statues and all of this, if they're not going to translate to, um, if they're not going to translate to empowerment of the people around that area, um, government must find a mechanism, I think, in my view, where, because if you go to the waterfront, for example, you find those shops that sell um, cultural or artifacts and all of those things. And I don't think those things are being done by the local people. I think they have got people that they hire to do those things. And, the local community that has got those things that they were doing for centuries, they don't get the financial benefits of it. So why would anyone be happy then to have a heritage site, have all of these things, but they don't translate to economics because everyone wants to put bread and butter on the table. Why would it just be there preserved for the future generations? Why should I be interested in conserving it if I'm not connected to it in any way or 
any other thing that comes my way. You All know, right. To, yeah. All right, Eddie, th- thanks for that question. Uh, Ngabuto, I'll come to you. Um, uh, thank you Thank you very much. I I think I'd just like maybe to qualify what I was trying to drive at a little earlier. If you can keep it yes. as brief as possible for me, yes. please. Yes, number one, I think that we need to make heritage and history attractive to students from the most elementary level so that when they grow up, they then see its value and its benefit. And I think that's, that's the angle that I was trying to drive at. Because if we don't do that, we get to a situation where um, our communities and the people that have gone through the system do not understand the value um, that these uh, this monuments are bringing and contributing to our democracy. It is true, number two, communities need to be massively, massively, massively involved in, in the conservation of the heritage. In fact, I think the, the, the National Heritage Resources Act is structured in such a way that communities can manage um, their own heritage with the assistance of the government playing a, 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 a supportive role. Mm. They can nominate and, 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 and contest even the decisions that have been made in terms of um, conserving their heritage. I think that, that that's very important, the community involvement. And then, of course, lastly, as all have pointed out, then the benefit that comes from um, those, the, those heritage resources once they have been declared, once they have been constructed, right. and they remain within the community. Ngabuto, we're going to have to leave it there for this morning. Ngabuto Madida is with the South African Heritage Resources Agency. Sir Nicholas Volpe is the founder and former CEO of the Lily's Leaf Trust. We're going to have to leave it there for this morning. It's just after 11 o'clock and Musa has your latest news.